Hello everyone, I'm Ronnie McBrayer. On this podcast, you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. If all of our technology was working, you would see a slide right now with a very familiar logo on it, which is the logo that was designed in the summer of 2007 by our own Laura Granberry. It is a Simple Faiths logo. How many times have you seen it? Can you recall it in your mind right now? There are a few key elements. At the very heart of it is a cross. The very crux of our faith, the center of all that we believe. And then there are three overlapping circles. One for each of the missions that we devised now almost 15 years ago. To worship God, to follow Jesus, and to serve others. And then where that overlap occurs, there is another intentional image And when Laura showed me the logo for the first time all those years ago, I could not have been more pleased. Where those circles overlap, it creates what some refer to as a Celtic knot. It is a triquetra. Triquetra is a Latin word. It means three-cornered, and that is obvious. It is an ancient symbol most associated with the Celtic culture, And you will see it in Irish, Scottish, Nordic, and Germanic artwork going back as far as 5,000 years. And certainly it began as a pagan symbol. And scholars think it represented a number of things, but most likely the three elements of earth, air, and water. Like a circle, it has no end. It has no beginning. Three corners, yes, but looped together. So it has always been used as a symbol of unity, eternity, Of time itself. So it should come as no surprise that the early church in Ireland repurposed this symbol as the earliest picture, the earliest icon for the Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three corners, but always connected and looping and never separate. Today is Trinity Sunday on the church calendar, if you are wondering why the great old hymn, Holy, 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 snuck its way into our band's set list today, not one that we do ordinarily. But being Trinity Sunday, it is the last feast Sunday of the church year. We enter into what the lexicon calls ordinary time, which sounds so boring, doesn't it? There is not another Sunday celebration until the first Sunday of Advent, when the temperatures will be much cooler, the days will be much shorter, and the beaches will be much thinner in population. But back to the Trinity. This is a doctrine that has historically been essential to all that we believe, but rarely do we speak about the Trinity directly. 
And while the concept is everywhere in the Scriptures, the word itself, Trinity, is never mentioned anywhere in the Bible. And it is a historical sticking point to our dialogue and our differences at times. The great confession of Hebrew faith is this, it is Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And the very first pillar of Islam is similar to that. There is no God but the one God. And Christians come alongside these other monotheistic Abrahamic faiths and we say, Amen. Indeed, the Lord is one. There is no God but the one God. And then we pray, baptize, sing, and worship in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This not only confounds those outside the Christian faith, it tends to confound those of us within. How can there be one God with three expressions? One God in three names. Does our God have three heads like a Hindu goddess? Or like Cerebus, the three-headed guard dog of the underworld? Does our God have an identity disorder? Does our God have multiple personalities? No. And while we could never explain God, efforts have been made to contextualize what the church means by holy, holy, holy God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Now here are a few ways that we can understand it. We can understand it maybe in a musical sense if we were to play a musical chord, say the C chord on a guitar or a piano. It rings out three notes to form a chord. And it is not the C chord unless all three of those notes are ringing out together. Take one away and you have diminished it. And we can think of God maybe like that. As a piece of music singing out into the universe. And if we take some of that away, if we take one of those notes away, it has become less. The first way that the Trinity was ever introduced to me was my Sunday school teacher taking an egg and breaking it. One of my sons, years ago, uh, was at children's, the children's gathering. Did you grow up in a church or did you go to church where sometimes all the children would come forward and sit up front and the pastor would do a little lesson? I don't do that. Anything that can go wrong on a Sunday goes wrong right there. My son is an example. The children's minister hands him an egg. She's explaining the Trinity to him one morning. He takes it. He's about three or four years old at the time. Blaze takes it. He looks at it and chunks it. Just hand grenades it over there. Lesson's over. That was it for me. Never again. But where I first learned about the Trinity was that exact lesson. You break the egg. It has a yellow. It has a white. It has a shell. If you take any of that away, you've taken away part of the structure of what it means to be an egg. A third one, H2O. We usually think of H2O in its liquid form. Oh, you paid attention in science class. But sometimes it's frozen and it becomes a solid. Sometimes it evaporates into the air and it becomes a cloud or vapor. It becomes gas. 
It expresses itself in different forms, but it is the same molecular composition no matter how it is expressed. And then we'll go right to Ireland itself. When St. Patrick landed on the Irish shore and he brought with him the triune God, there were Musical chords, eggs, triangles, maybe states of matter, shamrocks, traquetras, interwoven circles. These are all pictures of the inexplicable. Attempts to simplify the incomprehensible. And we come face to face with a major lesson that the Trinity teaches us. And it is this. God is a mystery. As a being... God cannot be contained, cornered, or otherwise dissected. Beware of anyone who tries to convince you that he or she has God figured out and pinned down in a dissection tray. We can know God, to be sure, but we can never fully understand all that God is. This is why William James settled on my favorite name for God, the wondrous more. And I suspect it is why the drafters of the Revised Common Lectionary use Psalm 8 for Trinity Sunday each year. It is a psalm of amazement, historically attributed to David, Israel's poet, heart-playing king. It drips with astonishment. How majestic is your name. Your glory is higher than the heavens. When I look at the night sky, I see the stars, the work of your fingers. I hear the thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my God, how great thou art. Also the inspiration for that hymn. David points us to creation, to the universe as proof of God's existence and God's glory. The physical world that is so vast, so marvelous, so awe-inspiring, so beautiful and diverse, if this is the creation in which we find ourselves, how great that it is, then how much greater must be the One who created it. Now, we know that not everyone feels this way. There are those who look out at the world and they see maybe happenstance or chance that this creation is the result of cosmic luck, of an intergalactic collision that accidentally produced life. And I will not attack that position because I believe in the science. I do. I accept carbon dating. I agree with the estimates that the earth is four and a half billion years old. I'm not a young earth creationist who thinks the world is only 6,000 years old, and I don't believe that the dinosaurs were in line to get on Noah's Ark. No. At some point in the distant past, 
13.7 billion years ago, to be exact, give or take a millennia or three. There was this cosmic egg that exploded. And by cosmic egg, I mean this. There was a collection of material so infinitely dense that it contained every sun, every planet, every solar system, every quark, every neutron, every electron, every piece of matter that would ever exist. And scientists say somehow, some way, that cosmic egg exploded. And within three minutes, the first three minutes of history, everything that is sprawled across the universe that we now know, filling up and continuing to expand in the space that now is. Hmm. The question of science then is, how did this happen? The question of science is, how can we understand the origins of the universe? Now, the shorthand description by the scientific community, you know it as well as I do. I've just described something called the Big Bang. Philosophers call it the uncaused cause. The Greeks referred to it as the unmoved mover. Sir Isaac Newton, the father of the scientific revolution, believed all of this and concluded that the perfection of the universe required intention. And I'm paraphrasing him here, but he said that as he learned more and more about the intricate details of this world, details that science revealed to him, the more he felt it worked like an expertly crafted machine, wherein, quote, the machine maker must be God. Could it be that scientists and philosophers and theologians are all on the same quest? That we are all reaching out for the same thing, the wondrous more that we cannot describe or explain? So it is completely consistent, completely, to believe in contemporary science and to believe in God Almighty, the Creator of all things. No mental gymnastics are required to hold both beliefs. And no compromise of faith or intellect is necessary to both learn from the sharpest analytical and mathematical minds and with good conscience to accept God as the prime mover, the origin of all that is. After all, the Big Bang Theory was not the invention of some hedonistic, humanistic, atheistic Darwinian. It was the brainchild of Father George Lemaitre, Father, Reverend George Lemaitre, before Hubble, before Hawking, before Sagan, before Tyson, before Bill Nye the science guy. Lemaitre wrote a little paper in 1927 entitled, The Homogeneous Universe of Constant Mass and Growing Radius Accounting for the Radial Velocity of Extra Galactical Nebula. Easy for me to say. In that paper, he was the first one to shape what is now known as the scientific conclusion of the Big Bang. And he was a Catholic, Catholic priest working for the Vatican. Rooted, as anyone could be, in the Christian tradition. He said, quote, 
faith and science are giving parallel interpretations of the world. They are telling the same story, but using different languages. I love that. King David lived 2,500 years before Lamatre. He lived three millennia before the scientific revolution or a microscope or a telescope. He could not resort to the technicalities or the language of the Enlightenment. He could only look with the naked eye at the beautiful creation of God and sing a hymn of praise in return. I mean, look at the emerald green waters where we live that crash against the ivory soap sand here on our coast. Yes, I know that that sand is the result of millions of years of erosion of the quartz from the top of the Appalachian Mountains. I know that. But can we look at that and say, well, it's happenstance. Can we look at a newborn baby fresh from the womb, screaming and stretching for life? Is that a happenstance? Or is that a miracle? Marvel at the Milky Way above your head on a cold winter night, that there are no two snowflakes that are identical, the terrifying power of a supercell thunderstorm. I know all the sterile science behind all of that, and I can accept the science of all that, and still in my heart of hearts realize that there must be some kind of intention behind all of this. An intention that we call God. Let me get back specifically to the Trinity and invite you to think about it this way. So if we talk about things like this in technicality, it really is not that interesting. Unless you're a nerd. I'm a nerd. I like it. God bless you. I see those raised hands. There are a few nerds that are with me. But let's think of it in a relational sense. God is too much. Really. God, God is too much for the human mind to conceive. God, thus, has chosen to reveal God's self to humanity in relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Relating one to the other. So th- stay with me here. I am Homo sapiens. I am a sentient animal for the most part. Highly evolved, believe it or not. I am composed of water and oxygen, and carbon, and hydrogen, and a few other lesser chemicals, somehow held constantly together in this shape, more or less the same, depending on how many Oreos I eat. And you are too. But we don't think of each other that way, do we? Do we? I mean, I didn't get up here today and say, I'd like you to meet my friend Lauren, who's going to sing a song for us. She's Composed of 10 octillion atoms, and she's about 63% water if she hydrated properly today. And she's one of the most charming carbon-based collections of molecular structure you will ever meet. 
And she may have a little dash more of chlorine or magnesium than some, but she's a jolly life form nonetheless. I didn't say those things. We know each other by relationship, by friendship, by the relationship in our families. And that's a good way of understanding God. It's a good way of understanding the Trinity. You don't know me as a biological biped. I'm known by my relationships. I'm a husband. Husband to Cindy. I'm a father. Father to Blaze, Bryce, Braden. I'm a son. Son of Roy and Rita. I'm a brother. Brother to Connie and to Timothy. I'm a nephew, an uncle, a grandson, a a friend, a bandmate. I'm known by my relationships, not my material composition. It is the same for you, and I believe it is the same when speaking of God. God as our father, our mother, our parent. God as son, our older brother, our sibling, our teacher who shows us the way. God as spirit, our constant companion, our internal guidance system, our friend who is never far away, our very breath and life in whom we live and move and have our being. God is incomprehensible, but God is not completely unknowable. God relates, God connects, and we come to know this God in multiple ways, as we are known in multiple ways and in multiple relationships. Let me read this final piece to you. It is from Bishop Callistos Ware, the Eastern Orthodox Church, and I love how he says it. Quote, each form of community, the family, the school, the workplace, the local church, the city, has as its vocation to become a living icon of the Holy Trinity. And then he explains it like this. Thus, our goal is to harmonize diversity and unity. Personal freedom and solidarity with others. When as Christians we fight for justice or for human rights, for a compassionate and caring society, we are acting specifically in the name of a triune God. Our faith in the God of personal inner relationship commits us to struggle with all of our strength against poverty, exploitation, oppression, and disease, we combat these things not merely on a humanitarian ground, but precisely because we know that God is three in one. We cannot remain indifferent toward anyone who is outside a healthy, mutually connected community. We are always inviting those on the outside to come inside the circle of community. That's just one of the most beautiful things you'll ever hear. You have been listening to the podcast home of yours truly, Ronnie McBrayer. You can follow me on Facebook or Twitter, whatever your socialization preference may be. At Ronnie McBrayer will get you there in either case. Visit my website at ronniemcbrayer.org and there you can stay up to date. On my speaking schedule, books I have written, projects just over the widening horizon, and yes, you can find out more about me than anyone truly wishes to know. I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and I thank you for listening.